Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from That Man from Saturn, written by Harriet Frank, Jr. Out of the Stars and Into Her Heart The lost science fiction romantic comedy novel by Academy Award-winning writer Harriet Frank, Jr. Betsy Sims is crazy about a guy named Ertzi, whose skin is green and whose address is Saturn. Betsy dug him out of a test tube one night and hasn't been quite the same since. Ertzi isn't easy for a woman to handle. For one thing, his idea of lovemaking is to take a walk in the park and think at Betsy. That might be hot stuff up among Saturn's rings, but Betsy wants the real thing. And then a sleek slice of female named Lita comes along and loads Ertzi up with ticker tape parades, keys to the city, and a presidential reception, and Betsy has more action than she knows what to do with. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from That Man from Saturn. Chapter 1 Ruthie said she knew something like this would happen to me. She says there's something dark and Celtic in my ancestry, even though she knows that my family's Pennsylvania Dutch. Ruthie's a fine one to talk. She has her fortune told down on 3rd Avenue once a week as regular as clockwork. And she won't go to work if our landlady's black cat crosses her path. Now she says she felt it in her bones. She says there was a kind of sulfurous smell in our apartment, but I'm sure it was only the stuff I used to mop the bathroom with. I told her so. All right, Madame Curie. Explain it to me. Ruthie thinks, because I'm a lab technician for the Severn Research Foundation, that I'm a cross between Robert Oppenheimer and Albert Einstein. But even if I were, I couldn't come up with an answer. Because nothing like this has ever happened outside of a Walpurgis night, especially to a girl like me. I'm the kind of girl who gets her bills paid promptly on the 10th of the month and sees her dentist twice a year. I bank a third of my salary, vote in the primaries, and cry at the movies. I love valentines and children and early American furniture. Except for the mumps, I've never been sick a day in my life, and the only psychosomatic symptom I've ever shown was when I broke out in a rash the day I got engaged to Arnold. He says it was an anxiety syndrome, but I think it was my red woolen dress. I didn't contradict him, because he's a psychiatrist, and he ought to know. I don't hate my parents secretly. I have no power drives and the only time I take a drink is when Ruthie and I have Christmas open house. So far, there's no explanation. Arnold is in no condition to apply the scientific method, and Ruthie just mopes around being Irish and spooky. So it's up to me, and I've gone over it and over it. It started on Valentine's Day. There was some chocolate cake left over from the night before, and I made myself some cocoa. It was a lovely, unwholesome breakfast. There's something about cocoa and snow and smoke from chimneys that makes me feel Charles Dickensy and romantic. I called up Arnold and recited Roses Are Red, Violets Are Blue at him, but he was sleepy and thought it was a maladjusted child he'd been treating. When he finally realized it was me, he wanted to know if anything was wrong. No, I said. I'm just feeling festive. Fine. And then, with more of a lilt, he said, That's fine. There was a pause, and then he coughed and cleared his throat. <clears> throat> Valentine's Day. There's a romantic significance, isn't there? Usually, I said. You'll be hearing from me.
he said mysteriously, and hung up. I would have liked him to murmur a few things at me, but it was seven in the morning and he probably hadn't even brushed his teeth. Besides, Arnold says the sensual graph is periodic and moves in a cyclic pattern, and that emotional relationships have to allow for the discrepancies of the parties involved. What he means is you're either in the mood or you're not. He wasn't. I confess, it took the wind out of my sails until I went to catch my bus. There was snow on the ground, and everything looked as though it were wrapped in white tissue paper. You felt that if you peeled it off, you'd find a spring hat or a dollar bill or a ticket to Paris. When I got to Rockefeller Center, I went into the florists on the ground floor and bought one single daffodil in a little pot. It cost me $1.65. And since I needed a new lipstick and mouthwash, you can just set it down to late winter stirrings. Everybody in the elevator looked at that daffodil wistfully. One man, a sort of stockbrokery type, leaned over and inhaled it. Perky thing, he said, sighing. When I got off at my floor, he said, I wish you were going all the way to the top. But he wasn't being fresh. It just had that effect on people. When I got to the lab, I put it up on the window ledge. With the light coming through its petals, it looked like home-churned butter. Even Mr. Randall, who never makes a joke because he's head of the laboratory, made a joke. Daffodils are yellow. Wish I were your fellow, he recited. Primavera, eh, Betsy? Yes, sir, I said. Well, I hope it won't take the starch out of you if I ask you to stay late tonight. The fragments of the Santa Corito meteor arrived this morning. It had been in the papers for three weeks. First, the reports from observatories all over the country, describing the spots and eruptions on the planet Saturn, and then the fallout of that great meteor in the Arizona desert. The crater it had plowed was almost five miles long, and it was filled with strange and glittering rock fragments. We felt pretty good about the fact that Severn Labs had been chosen to do the analysis on ore that might, just possibly might, have fallen through space for a billion miles, all the way from the rings of Saturn. Randall's voice droned on. Jensen is running some geological tests on them, but we'd like you to do the report. It has to go to Princeton in the morning. Those atomic fellows want our findings. Think you can handle it? I'll try. Good. Jensen's got the material vetted in a salt solution. Just leave everything undisturbed. His notes will be ready by six. Get your boyfriend to buy you dinner and then be back here by eight if you can. Yes, Mr. Randall. And don't discuss it. We're all under a top-secret regimen as long as we're being investigated. I want my crew to make a fine showing. It's Los Alamos for all of us if we come out with a clean record. He paused at the door. You're not nervous here at night, are you? Oh, no. Remember. Don't disturb the material. Just do up the report. Miss Tompkin, who works in blood culture, came in on his parting remark. She waited until he had turned into his own office. Is he keeping you in tonight? She asked, sought a voice. He is. I wouldn't stay in this lab after dark for all the mink and minkdom. Why not? I asked, putting on my smock. We don't manufacture monsters here. Did you see the thing? She said nervously. No. Well, I did. Last week at the Uptown Theater. The thing came right out of an ice cube when this man wasn't looking. You don't say. Laugh if you want to. I do. All right. But that rock Randall was telling you about? It's bobbing around in the vat like crazy. Jensen had to seal the lid with paraffin. Maybe it's a Mexican jumping meteor, I said solemnly. 
Well, I think you ought to call up Arnold and have him stay with you. Susie, I said sternly, for a scientifically trained person, you're acting like something out of a weird story magazine. I think this investigation has got you jumpy. Jumpy, she snapped. Last week, the investigators went to talk to my dentist because I was taking night appointments. They know all about my upper plate. They know what I eat for breakfast. What's so terrible about that? They know who I eat it with. That's funny. Nobody's been asking any questions about me. What's there to ask, said Susie. You've been going with the same fella for two years. They'll probably get to me, I said. Now run along and let me get some work done. Arnold called around five to say he couldn't have dinner with me, but that I could expect a little surprise. Something sentimental, he said. I'm awfully sorry about tonight, but Lita has asked me to sit in on an examination. She's blocked away from the root of her patient's neurosis and wants a fresh mind. Oh, I said. Lita's not my favorite dish. She's Arnold's associate, and if I ever saw a woman with a mind like a steel trap, she's the woman. She's as cold as beer on a hot day and twice as heady. Do good, I said cheerfully to Arnold, and rang off. All my valentine feelings ebbed away. It was just another cold day in February. I'd work late, eat a sandwich in the drugstore, buy some magazines, and so to bed. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from That Man from Saturn. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.